0: The reading this morning is taken from the book of Exodus, chapter 2, reading from verse 11 to 25. One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labour. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, looking this way And that, and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed that Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away. But Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. When the girls returned to Reuel, their father, he asked them, Why have you returned so early today? They answered, An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. And where is he? Reuel asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son and Moses named him Gershom saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them.
1: Well, very good morning to you, everyone. Uh, thank you to Anna for leading the service this morning. I expect by this point, she will have explained to you uh, why I'm not here. Uh, I'm just down the hill at Uterbridge Chapel uh, preaching there. But nonetheless, um, as we gather uh, this morning to look at Exodus chapter 2 together, it's a pleasure to be opening God's word uh, with you. And so as we uh, begin to do that, let me encourage you to have uh, your church Bible open at page 59. If you're watching from home, I can't tell you what page number it is, but you need to find Exodus chapter two and we're looking from verse 11. It'll be really helpful um, to you in the coming minutes to have that open in front of you. As we turn to God's word, let me pray uh, for us. Our heavenly father, We pray this morning that the words of my lips and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, at the risk of sounding a little unpatriotic, I've always felt a little bit embarrassed being around Brits abroad, I've often gone on holiday uh, to Europe, uh, particularly France. That's a favorite. And Brits abroad don't look terribly great. Sorry, I love Brits. But when we're abroad, we really stick out like a sore thumb. There are the Italians and the Spanish and the French looking beautifully bronzed, knowing how to behave on a beach and in sunshine. And then there are us Brits with, with plain white legs and heavy tan lines and poor foreign language skills. And we really just stand out among our European friends. And so I'm a little bit coy, if I'm honest, when I'm in uh, France and don't really want to be associated with other British people, though I stand out just as much as anyone else. But there have been some occasions when I have been very willing went on holiday in Europe to take some flack, if need be, for being a Brit. And the one that stands out particularly is the summer of 2010. Uh, I was on holiday uh, with some friends doing a bit of a road trip around France. And summer 2010 was the summer of the South African World Cup. Uh, My friends and I were camping, and so we had no way of watching the matches other than going to a bar, a public place, uh, to watch them. But when I saw my national team on the screen, fighting away in the World Cup. I threw all caution to the wind. I was more than willing to be known as an Englishman on those occasions. I was shouting away as loud as anyone else, come on England, even if it got the disapproving looks of locals or the nationals uh, of the other team that we were playing against. I was very willing in those moments to take some flack for being a Brit. You have to be very clear on who you are and where is home, where your love and loyalties lie before you'll be willing to suffer for those things. And so let me ask you, Christian, where are you at home? In our passage this morning, we come across a man who had to make a big decision about who he was and where was home, about where his love and loyalties lie. And it was a decision that would change the course of the rest of his life. Moses was born as a Hebrew, but he was in the unusual position of being raised as an Egyptian, as the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter, raised in the palace, no less. And so you can imagine as he grew up, his identity becoming something that he considered more deeply and about which he began to have doubts. Who really am I? Where do I belong? And for him, this decision, this matter came to a head and was was forced upon him in the events that are recorded in verse 11. Look down at verse 11. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. You notice twice there, the Hebrews are described as Moses' own people, a hint of where his loyalties should lie. And this is a huge moment of decision for Moses. Would he identify as an Egyptian at home in Egypt with all the comforts that that afforded him? Or would he identify as a Hebrew, with other Hebrews in slavery in a foreign land? While Moses chose the latter, look down at verse 12. Looking this way and that, and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Moses chose his side, but he went about it in the wrong way, taking the life of an Egyptian man. And now there was no going back for Moses. He hid the body in the sand, but he couldn't hide the truth, not even for 24 hours. Look down at verse 13. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I have done must have become known. And we're beginning to see already of this young man, Moses, that he is very committed to justice, a keen sense of right and wrong. And he wants to intervene and rescue people who are being oppressed, whether it's a Hebrew by an Egyptian or a Hebrew by another Hebrew who we read was in the wrong. But the question of that Hebrew was a good one. Who made you ruler and judge over us? The truth is, Moses was self-appointed at this point. God hadn't appointed him as he one day would to be a ruler and a judge and to a rescuer of God's people. And it seems that Moses is unable to provide the rescue that God's people need. For all of his enthusiasm and desire for justice, he seems to lack the maturity to lead God's people at this point, trying to do so in his own strength by killing a man. But no, Moses needs time, time for God to teach him that if he's to rescue God's people, it won't be through human force, but by divine power. And so for now, Moses has to flee. Look at verse 15. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. And there in Midian, Moses' rescuer streak gets him noticed once again. Look at verse 16. Now, a priest of Midian had seven daughters. And they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away. But Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered the flock. Moses here really does come across as quite the hero. Did you notice there were more than one shepherd? Some shepherds, but the one man, Moses, he sees them off. And then there are these seven daughters, seven shepherdesses. But Moses waters their flock faster than all seven of them could, such that they get to bunk off early and go home. Look at verse 18. When the girls returned to Ruel, their father, he asked, why have you returned so early today? Moses is like a superhero. He seems to be able to do more than anyone else can do. And he's out to rescue people. But at the same time, he does at this point Cut a sorry figure. Here is the man who was raised in a palace, now slumped by the side of a well. A man without his people, without a home, and with no way of going back. And perhaps he could almost imagine the voice of his Egyptian friends back home saying, How the mighty have fallen from the palace, now slumped beside. A well, And yet, in leaving the only home he ever knew, Moses quickly finds a new home. Look at verse 20. Uh, the daughters of Ruel have come back and told him that they've been rescued by this Egyptian man, or apparently Egyptian man. And verse 20, Ruel asked his daughters, where is he? Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son. And so do you see, very quickly, Moses has found a new home. But more than that, he's found the home that God had promised to Abraham all those years before. Because the Midianites were a nomadic people. And where did they wander around? Well, nowhere else but the land of Canaan, the very land that God had promised to Abraham. And so Moses has left Egypt, but he's found his home. He settles down, he's got a wife, and they start a family. And that period when someone first becomes a parent is such a significant and poignant moment in a person's life. Often it's then that people really take stock of their lives and ask big questions and reflect in a significant way. And that seems to be the case here for Moses. He reflects on where he's come from and he gives his son a name that is loaded with meaning. Verse 22, Moses named him Gershom saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. Now, actually, in the original language, the tense of what he says there isn't clear. And it's probably a better translation to say that it says at the end of verse 22, I have been a foreigner in a foreign land. And the point is this that not that Moses is away from home but that he's found his home. Despite Egypt being the place of his birth and upbringing, Moses now sees that Egypt was in fact to him a foreign land. And so he looks back on his life, his life in Egypt, and says, I have been a foreigner in a foreign land. All my life, I've been a foreigner. But the domestic bliss that we apparently have at the end of verse 22, Moses there in his home with his family, with his son, well, that really can't be the end of the story. Because though Moses has settled in the land, the people of God aren't there in the land. In Exodus chapter one, we saw the promise to Abraham fulfilled in a people. Israel had become a great nation. Now in chapter 2, Moses finds the fulfillment of the second part of God's promise to Abraham. He finds a home in the promised land. But the rest of the people are hundreds of miles away. You see, we have a people without a land, and we have a land without a people. And so in the final verses of chapter 2, we return to the promise to Abraham. Look down at verse 23. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. It says there that God remembered his covenant with Abraham. Now, of course, it's not that his promise to Abraham had slipped his mind as it could yours or mine. And it's not that he'd been distracted by other things. But remembered here means that God is about to take the next steps to fulfill his promises. And verse 25 literally says, God saw the people of Israel And he knew. That is, he knew their suffering. And he knew his promises. He hadn't forgotten. And so this is the situation at the end of chapter two. A people without a land. A land without a people. Promises not yet fulfilled. A people groaning, crying out in their slavery. But a God who knows who cares, who remembers his promises and a hero being prepared to rescue God's people. And so Christian, let me ask you this. Who are you and where's your home, the place where you belong? Because we each face the same choice as Moses did who came to see that the place of his birth, the place of his upbringing was not his home. You know, the best commentary on these verses in Exodus 2 comes later in the Bible, in Hebrews 11. And starting at verse 24, this is what we read there. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, He chose to be ill-treated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible we face the very same choice as Moses did. Every Christian is in the same situation. After we put our faith in Jesus and become one of the people of God, the land of our birth and of our upbringing becomes to us a foreign land. We have become foreigners in a foreign land. And now we're pilgrims heading for the promised land the home kept for us in heaven. And every day we face a great moment of decision, just as Moses did in verse 11 of chapter two, when he saw that Egyptian beating one of his people. Which home will set our priorities? Which home will shape our behavior when under pressure and tempted to avoid the cost of being known as one of God's people? Which home will define our standard of living? Will we choose the pleasures of sin and the treasures of Egypt, or will we choose to be ill-treated along with the people of God? Will we choose disgrace for the sake of Christ? The choice is, is a stark one, and it's one we face day by day. Will you live for pleasure and treasure, or will you live in disgrace? Moses chose disgrace. Moses, who had all the pleasures and comforts of Egypt at his fingertips. Moses, raised in the palace of the king, chose disgrace. Why? Why would he do that? Hebrews 11 tells us. What does it say? Because he was looking ahead to his reward. A friend of mine uh, has uh, had a little tradition when she was uh, dropping her children off at school that I've recently come to copy as I've been sending my children off to school. As she was saying goodbye to her child in the playground, she would lower herself to his level and say, remember who you are and remember whose you are. And now often, not every day, but often as I drop my eldest at school, I look him in the eye and I give him a pat on the shoulder and I say to him, remember who you are and remember whose you are. And for us Christians today, I think those words are a helpful reminder for us. Remember who you are and remember whose you are. This world is not your home. Don't live like it is. And as you go into the week ahead, in every moment of decision you face, choose to be counted among the people of God, whatever the cost, because like Moses, you are looking forward to your reward. Let's pray. Our heavenly Father, please give us that keen sense of who we are as your children and whose we are belonging to you and that this world is not our home. And we pray that in the many decisions that we will take this week, over which world to live for, you would give us the power by your Holy Spirit to live not for this world or for the comforts that it offers, but to live as your people, whatever the cost, preferring disgrace for the sake of Christ to the riches that this world affords. For the glory of your name, amen.